Good morning. Very happy to have all of you guys out this morning. Did just want to go over a couple announcements. I'd encourage you to open up your bulletin. I did want to take a moment and recognize uh, Joe Andrews who's having a 90, his 93rd birthday on Tuesday. So happy birthday uh, to Joe. I do just want to go over a couple other announcements here. Uh, today's flowers have been placed by the family and loving memory of Florence Johnson. There's a note there in the bulletin about our baby bottle boomerang campaign that we ran in the uh, early summer. I do just encourage you to read that. Again, thank you to everyone who was involved with being able to help Cornerstone out with that. Looking forward to things that are happening this week. We have youth group tonight, um, and that will be at 630 also happening today, right after the service, there will be refreshments in the foyer um, until 11.20. Um, it's just a great time uh, for fellowship to kind of just get, get a little snack and a talk with each other. So I'd encourage you guys to just stay um, and stick around a little bit and just uh, chat with each other and have a good time there. We have another ladies' Bible study coming up very soon, starting September 5th. Uh, the study is going to be called... Uh, the Joy of Seeking God First. It's by Anita Kigi. Uh, it's going to be a six-week study uh, that challenges uh, us to discover the joy as we prioritize time alone with God daily. Um, so there's information there in the bulletin about that. Again, uh, the class times will be Tuesday morning at 10 a.m., Tuesday evening at 6.30, and again on Thursday morning at 10 a.m. So if you're interested um, in being a part of that, please let Dale know um, about that. We also, we've had this back um, in, in the uh, bulletin for a couple weeks now. Uh, we're going to be starting up an eight-week beginner guitar class. Um, it's going to be starting up uh, just very soon. There's a sign-up sheet back um, in the foyer for that. Today is the last day to sign up if you're interested. Um, I'm just going to be teaching this uh, guitar class. It's just a kind of a laid-back way of kind of introducing guitar. So, again, I just want to put it out there that if anyone has been on the fence about it, they've been trying to decide if they should do it or not, or they feel like, you know, I'm not quite uh, musically inclined, so I'm not sure if I'd be able to, just try, try it out. Um, it's just a great time of uh, just working on it, seeing how, seeing how it goes, and maybe it's for you, maybe it's not, but that's kind of the point of the class, is to kind of just see uh, if you're interested in, in the guitar. It's a free class, there's no charge for anything involving that. Um, so there is a sign-up sheet back at the welcome desk for that. Also, we're going to have a heart-to-heart -heart, uh, group picnic. It's going to be Friday, September 15th, uh, starting at noon at Diane Peterson's home. Um, so there's information there in the bulletin about that. Um, there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer, or you may reach out to Diane directly about that. Again, there's a lot of things in looking ahead. I'd encourage you uh, to look through that. Uh, we're going to be getting to some of those things coming up soon. But for now, let's begin our service with a word of prayer. Lord, we praise you for all that you've done for us, for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins, for him rising again three days later so that we could have victory. 
And Lord, it's in that victory that we gather uh, this morning, Lord, as, as your family, as people who've redeemed by you, people who have been saved by you. Lord, we look to glorify you this morning. We look to make your name great. For all that you've done for us, Lord, we pray that you would be magnified, Lord, that we would find uh, our reason to uh, just bless your name this morning. I pray that you would receive all the honor and glory for everything that happens this morning. pray all these things in your name. Amen. As we begin our time of worship this morning, let's worship the way Psalm 100 verse 2 says to worship. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Let's do that this morning. Please stand.
Please be seated. And Lord, we praise you that all of our lives you've been faithful. All of our lives you've been so good. Lord, you are the faithful God. You are the good God. And Lord, with all of our breath, we want to sing that to you. We want to praise you for just your faithfulness to us, your goodness to us, and all that you've done for us in each one of our lives. Lord, each person here has their own story. Lord, I pray that each person's here story would be a story of grace, a story of your love being poured out on their lives. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. And Lord, it's in your name that we bring these requests before you. We do just uh, pray for Gail Brown, Lord. We praise you that she's out of her boot uh, and that she's getting a good report from the surgeon. But Lord, we do just pray uh, for her as she continues to heal. And Lord, we know she's also experiencing some abdominal pain as well. We do just pray that you bring healing to her um, in that situation. We do pray for the uh, family of Dawn Galette as they mourn her passing, Lord. We do just pray that you would be the God of comfort in that situation. We do as well pray for the family of uh, Butch, uh, the brother-in-law of Betty and, jo and uh, John Brooks, Lord. We do just pray that you would uh, give that family comfort as they mourn his passing. Lord, we, again, we pray that same thing for the Fogg family, Lord. At the passing of Luke Fogg, we do just pray that you would uh, provide comfort in that situation, that you would uh, just surround them with your loving hand. Lord, we do pray for uh, Bob Kiker, Lord. We do just uh, pray that you would give him healing on first finger, Lord. He had nine stitches. We do just pray that uh, that, that would uh, just heal properly and everything would uh, just get back to normal soon. We do pray for Betty, Sarah Jane's sister. Uh, Lord, she's been placed on hospice. We do just pray for comfort for her. We pray for uh, just comfort for the entire family. We do pray for uh, this former BCS student uh, who had heart surgery this past week. Lord, we do just pray that uh, there would be healing there. Uh, we just pray uh, that he would uh, just be able to uh, just get back uh, to strength soon, Lord, that you would provide healing in that situation. Lord, we do just uh, praise you that uh, Brooks 
uh, Brook Van Meter's hometown. Um, they had the fires, but they've been put out, Lord. We do just praise you for the rain that you provided on Friday to make sure all the fires were out, Lord. We do just pray uh, for that hometown, Lord, as they now uh, just pick things up as they kind of uh, try to figure out what is next. And Lord, we do pray that same thing uh, for the uh, city of Maui right now, Lord, as uh, they're just experiencing the aftermath of, the, of their scorching fire, Lord. We do just pray uh, that you would provide healing in that uh, situation, Lord, that you would be with uh, those who have uh, lost loved ones in that situation, those who are in the hospital, those who are um, in serious condition. We do just pray that you would uh, just be with everyone uh, there. We do pray uh, for our Missionary of the Month, Chosen People Missionaries uh, Ministries with uh, Mitch, Lord. We do just pray that you would continue to bless that ministry, Lord. Bless Mitch and his wife, Lord, that you would just continue to pour out your love in that situation. And Lord, we do uh, just pray for uh, Pastor Sky and his family this week, Lord, as they're getting a well-deserved uh, vacation, Lord. We do just thank you for Pastor Sky and uh, just all he does for our church just on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, Lord. I know he puts a lot of effort of himself into this church, Lord. We do just praise you for that. We praise you for his faithfulness in doing that. And we do just pray that this week that he would just be able to spend time with his family, Lord, that him and Beth and the girls would just have a great week, a great chance to uh, just enjoy uh, their own family and enjoy their break. We do just pray that you would continue uh, to bless this service, Lord, and we do pray that we would just continue to look to you as we continue on. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Well, let's continue singing joyfully. And as we sing, children in first through third are dismissed for youth church. Please stand.
Open your Bibles to the book of Philemon, which is probably only about a page long in your Bible, so I'll help you out a little bit. It's right after First and Second Timothy and Titus, all the T's, and then we have Philemon, or Philemon, and it's right before the book of Hebrews. And we'll be reading verses 8 through 21. So that's Philemon, verses 8 through 21. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ, I appeal to you for the son of Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to me, to you, but now he has also become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would have welcomed me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Lord, we do just praise you for this chance that we have now to come before your word and to hear from you, Lord. I do pray that you would speak, that you would speak to each one of us, that you would impact our lives with the gospel. We do pray all these things in your name. Amen. How many people here like sending and receiving letters? Okay, a couple of you. There are many different types of letters that we can send and receive. Sometimes it's like friendship, like notes, just letting people know what's going on in our lives. Sometimes we're trying to encourage someone. Sometimes we send a sympathy letter. Some of you may have even sent love letters at some point in time in your day. 
But have you ever been in a position where you had to write a really hard letter? It's one of those letters that you know that depending on how it's received, it could be really good or really bad. So you're very cautious in how you write this letter. You're hoping that everything comes across the best possible way. You know, you know uh, some type of situation or a relationship hangs in the balance on this letter. So you're very careful in all your words that you choose in order to send that letter. Well, today we're going to be looking at a letter similar to that. It's a letter that Paul wrote uh, to Philemon. It's going to be covering in the book of Philemon. Philemon is a very short book. It's, in fact, they don't even have chapter numbers. It's just one chapter. But it's a, it's a note from Paul to Philemon talking about a very difficult situation. And what we're going to see is that Paul speaks the gospel into that situation. We are finishing our series this week. Today is the last Sunday as we talk about shining stars in the early church. We've been talking about a lot of people of the early church and how they shined for God in their own life, in their own little town, and how we can shine for God as well. And we've been working on through that through the whole series. Last week we talked about Timothy and how he was d- discipled by Paul. And today we're going to be talking about two people, and today's our last week of it. We'll be starting a new series next week. But today we're going to talk about two people named Philemon and Onesimus. And we're going to talk about how they shined for God. And it's very interesting, Paul's approach in this letter. He is really focused on the gospel and the impact that it has on our daily life. You know, the gospel is a lot more than just concerned with our eternal life, which it is concerned about that, but it's more than that. It's also concerned about our life in the present. And we're going to see how Paul covers a very difficult topic by speaking the gospel into it. So before we get into the passage, I want to talk a little bit about the situation. And the situation is about a runaway slave. So there are two main people in this letter. One of them is Philemon. Philemon is a wealthy man in the city of Colossae. Paul's writing to him as someone who's um, in prison, an older man. Most people believe that Paul wrote this and the book of Colossians at the same time, and they were carried uh, together to the city of Colossae, and uh, the letter was given to the church of Colossae, and finally the letter was given personally, directly to him. Um, But uh, Philemon is someone who came to faith by Paul. Paul actually led him to Christ. Paul never visited Colossae directly. Most people think that uh, Philemon would have been traveling to a city like Ephesus where Paul was and would have heard the gospel from Paul and took it back to Colossae. And he became heavily involved in the church there at Colossae. And Paul definitely commends him. In fact, in verses 4 through 7, Paul tells a little bit about his view of Philemon. And this is what he has to say starting in verse 4. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I pray that the the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because because the hearts of, of the saints have been refreshed through you. So there's two things that Paul tells us here about Philemon. First of all, he's a man of faith. He's someone that went around telling his faith to those around him. And the second thing that we're told is that he's a man of love. Paul says, your love has brought joy and comfort to me because it's been refreshing to the saints. Philemon is someone who is full of faith and full of love, someone that Paul is proud to call his brother. 
And that brings us to the second person. The second person was Onesimus. Onesimus was a former slave of Philemon, and he ran away. Some people believe that before he ran away, he actually stole from Philemon. That's based on verse uh, 18. Uh, we're not exactly sure if he did steal from him or not, but he wronged Philemon, and he ran away. And after he ran away, he somehow came across Paul. Now, Paul would have been literally all the way in Rome at this point in time, but Onesimus comes across, and we're not quite sure how they met. But in the process of them meeting, Paul shares the gospel with Onesimus, and Onesimus comes to Christ. But then Paul is put in a very odd situation. He's got two people that he both shared Christ with, and one of them was a runaway slave from the other and had wronged Philemon. So he and Onesimus talked and said, Onesimus, you need to go back to Philemon. But Paul didn't want to send him by himself, so he wrote this letter to go with Onesimus to Philemon as he tried to bridge the gap in their relationship. Now, before we take a look at what the letter says, I do just want to make uh, an aside statement on the topic of slavery because this passage is going to talk quite a bit about slavery here. Um, slavery is not a good thing. It's bad. But it was a very common thing in the Roman society at the time. Most of their slaves would have been either uh, the people of conquered nations that they had conquered or people who were in debt. And in order to get out of debt, they would actually sell themselves into slavery. Um, most people uh, ask how this slavery, slavery in the Roman culture, compared to slavery in early American history. And the answer is there are some similarities and some differences. Some of the similarities is that the masters uh, had rights over the slaves. The slaves were dependent on the master to determine how well things were going to go for them. If they had a cruel master, then it was going to be difficult for them. Uh, but some of the differences, uh, slavery in the Roman culture did have certain advantages. Um, they had certain rights that were for them. They could educate themselves. They could practice religion as they chose. They could marry who they chose. Uh, they could receive health care as they needed it. And they could actually buy their own freedom. So there was some differences between those, but either way, slavery is wrong. So one of the questions that often gets asked when this topic of slavery comes up is why doesn't the Bible come out more heavily against slavery, specifically Paul? Paul seems to talk about slavery quite a bit. In Ephesians chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 3, he talks about slavery and he talks about the relationship that masters and slaves have with each other. But why doesn't he come out and directly attack it? And there's a lot of different uh, thoughts on this, and my, this is my personal uh, study of it. This is the conclusion that I've drawn uh, from my study, because we don't get Paul's exact reason. But my understanding of it is, ultimately, Paul is not concerned with changing a culture. He's concerned with changing people's hearts with the gospel. And that has always been Paul's focus when you read his letters. He's concerned about changing people's hearts with the gospel. And he believes that if you change people's hearts, you will change a culture. But you have to start with people's hearts with the gospel message. But he believes that once you do that, you will start to change a culture. As the gospel takes root, the culture will change. We see that in the way he talks about slavery in Galatians chapter uh, 3, verse 28. And Colossians 3.11 says something similar. But Galatians 3.28, he says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So as Paul talks about 
our unity in the gospel and our oneness in Christ Jesus. He says there's no room for racial differences. There's no room for gender differences. There's no room for differences between slave and free before Christ. And we're going to see how he unpacks that in this letter. Because in this letter, he comes up, uh, it seems to be, without actually attacking slavery directly, he seems to imply that we should move past slavery as the gospel takes root. So we're going to take a look at how he does that today. And there's two main points that I want to talk about here in Philemon. The first one is what the gospel does, that the gospel transforms. Can you go to the next slide? This isn't working. The gospel transforms. All right, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, The gospel transforms. You know, uh, we are not just saved from something. We are saved to something as the gospel takes root in our lives. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says it like this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Romans 12, verse 2 says something similar. He says, there, uh, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The gospel is meant to transform us. And we're going to talk a little bit about how Onesimus' life was transformed through the gospel. As Paul starts this letter to Philemon, he starts by presenting Onesimus to him. He, he says, I'm making this appeal, appeal for Onesimus. And we're going to talk about how Paul presents Onesimus. We're going to start in verse 8 of Philemon. Paul says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now indeed he is useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. So there are three ways that Paul presents Onesimus as a different person, someone whose life was transformed by the gospel. The first one is that he pursued righteousness. You know, Onesimus is someone who had wronged Philemon. He was a runaway slave. He had tried to get out of it. But here, Philemon was going back. Or, it's not Philemon. Here, Onesimus was going back to Philemon. He was righting a wrong that he had done in the past. He was trying to do the right thing, even though he didn't actually know how it would turn out. There could be some very serious consequences when a runaway slave gets returned to their master. The master would have complete right to determine whatever consequence they saw fit, even including they could have the slave put to death over it. Those were rights that the uh, slave owner had, and this was Onesimus trying to do the right thing regardless of what was going to come from it. And you know, the gospel should transform our lives in the same way. We should be pursuing righteousness. That, now, that doesn't mean that once we get saved that we become perfect people, that we never sin. But it does mean that we should be constantly trying to overcome our sin and pursue righteousness, pursue Christ. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 6 when Paul's talking about it. Paul says, before salvation you were slaves to sin but you've been freed from sin. But then in Romans 6, verse 18, he says, but having been freed from sin, you have become slaves to righteousness. That we have someone new that we're supposed to follow, and that's God, and that's righteousness 
from Him. We're supposed to be pursuing the right thing. So the question that we each have to ask is, how have, how, how have our lives been changed by the Gospels? Have we been pursuing righteousness? Have we been trying to overcome the sin in our lives? And maybe you're here today and you're, you're thinking, yes, I have. I've been actively trying to overcome the sin, but I've got a long way to go. And the answer is we just keep striving. But maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, I don't really feel like I've, I've been trying to overcome my sin. You know, I feel like I've believed in the gospel, but I haven't done anything with my life from there. And, and I would encourage you that the Bible tells us that we should pursue righteousness. As people who have been saved by the gospel, that we should pursue righteousness. So that's the first way that uh, Onesimus' life had been changed by the gospel. The second way that it had been changed is that he had a purpose. Paul says that Onesimus has been ministering to him. In fact, in the very next verse, in verse 13, and we're going to get there in a second, but Paul says he's been so good that I didn't want to send him back to Philemon because he's had been such a blessing in Paul's life. Onesimus now had a purpose in life. In verse 11, Paul says he was formerly useless, but now he's useful. Onesimus went from being a useless person to being someone who is useful to both Paul and Philemon. Now what's ironic about uh, that statement, Paul's actually doing a play on Onesimus' name. The name Onesimus actually means useful. So what Paul's actually saying is before he wasn't even Onesimus. He wasn't even useful, but now he is. Now he's actually Onesimus. He's actually a useful person because he found a purpose in his life. And we have a purpose that's given to us because of the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, after Paul talks about the salvation that we have, and it's not by anything we've done, it's not by works that no one can boast, he then turns around in verse 10 and says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, each one of us is a workmanship of God created for a purpose that we would live in that. So are we pursuing God's purpose in our life? Now, I don't know what an individual purpose for you is. I know that the big purpose of all Christian life is threefold. It's to glorify God, it's to reach the lost, and it's to build up the body of Christ. I don't know how your purpose fits into that, but God has a purpose for how you contribute to that, to glorifying God, to reaching the lost, and to building up the body of Christ. That's what Onesimus found was a purpose to his life. And he found a third thing through the gospel. There's a third change that happened in Onesimus' life, and the third change was that he received a family. Look at how Paul introduces Onesimus. He says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Paul goes as far as to say in verse 12, he says that Onesimus is his very heart. Think about that. Onesimus, a man who was a runaway slave who was looking out for himself and looking out for number one, nobody else, and he was just trying to take care of himself. He probably didn't have many friends at the time. He found a family, someone who would call him a child, someone who would call him his very heart. That's what he found through the gospel. That's what he found through Christ. It's the same with us. 
When we place our faith in Christ, we become part of the church. I love the quote that's up here on the, on the PowerPoint. It says, church is not something you go to. It's a family that you belong to. As we've come to Christ, we also get involved with God's family. When we read the New Testament and we see how people talk about each other in the church, you're constantly faced with family language. We call God our Father. We call each other brothers and sisters in Christ. It's supposed to be something more than friends. It's supposed to be more than acquaintances. It's supposed to be people that we are part of the same family with. So is that how your life has changed? Or have you still been distant from your church? Have you still been distant from the people that God calls your family, your brothers and sisters in Christ? Our life has been changed because of it. And this is where we get to the second part, second point of this message. And the second point is that the gospel reconciles. What does the word reconcile mean? (laughs) Reconcile means to take two things that are apart from each other and to bring them back together. The gospel message is the message of us being reconciled to God, that we were separated from God because of our sin, but when Christ died on the cross, He paid the penalty for our sin. He took our sin on Himself so that we could be reconciled and brought back with God and we could have peace with God. But the gospel is also about being reconciled to each other. As I just said, the church is supposed to be a family, and in that family, there's supposed to be fellowship. There's supposed to be reconciliation when there's a problem. There's supposed to be two sides being brought back together. And that's what Paul is trying to do here in his letter. He's trying to bring two people, Philemon and Onesimus, back together. Onesimus had wronged Philemon, but Paul says, you two need to be reconciled with each other. So let's see how he goes about doing that. Starting in verse 12, I'm going to read for a little bit. Paul says, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. So what is Paul asking here? What is Paul asking Philemon? He kind of beats around the bush a little bit. He doesn't come straight out and ask it too hard until verse 17. He says, listen, receive Onesimus as if you're receiving me. Receive the runaway slave as if you're receiving Paul himself. That's a huge request. Paul goes a step further and says, you can't be in the same relationship you had before with him, where you were a master and he was your slave. Because now, and this is what he says in verse 16, he says, now you call him 
a beloved brother. The fact that you guys are a family in God changes the way you interact with each other. You can't just take him back as a slave. You take him back as a beloved brother. Now think about what Paul is asking in that culture. Onesimus was a runaway slave. He was quite literally a criminal in that culture. For Philemon to even take him back as a slave would have been something that would have raised some eyebrows, would have surprised some people. For him to take Onesimus back as a beloved brother would have been unheard of. Any of Philemon's peers, anybody in his social circles would have said, hey, did you hear about Philemon, what he did with that runaway slave? He took him back and called him a brother. That would have been unheard of. But that's what Paul is asking Philemon to do. Why is he asking him to do that? What is Paul's ground for it? And the answer is because of the gospel. Because the reality of the situation is Philemon and Onesimus now have the same master. They have the same father. And that's God. And they're now brothers in Christ. And that has to redefine their relationship. So he's asking Philemon to take him back, to be reconciled with him, to forgive him of the offenses that he did. Now what's funny here is that Paul doesn't excuse away Onesimus. He doesn't say, uh, the stuff he did isn't that big of a deal. Paul also does not come openly and say, we should get rid, we should get rid of slavery as a whole. In fact, what Paul does is he says, listen, if Onesimus did wrong you, put that on me. Paul steps in the way and says, any wrong that Onesimus did to you, Philemon, charge that to my account. I will repay it. I can't ignore the obvious similarities between what Christ did for us with God. When Christ stepped in the way and said, Father, I know that they have sinned against you, but charge that to me. I will pay that debt so that you can have forgiveness with them and have a relationship with them. That's what Paul's doing. He's stepping in the way to bring reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus. To call Philemon to forgive and to form a relationship with their beloved brothers. So how does the story end? And here's the thing, we're not told. We're not told how this story works out. We get this letter that Paul sent and that's it. We don't actually know what comes next. I personally think that Philemon would have received this and responded to it appropriately, would have welcomed Onesimus back as a beloved brother in the Lord. Paul gives two options. Paul actually says, if you would love to send him back to me, he was so helpful to me, but maybe it's better that he comes to you and stays with you forever and blesses you and you welcome him back as part of your family. So we're not exactly sure exactly what happens next. My assumption is that Philemon res responded positively, and here's why. Because he didn't tear up this letter as soon as he received it. That we actually have it here as part of the Bible. Imagine if this letter started circulating as a letter that Paul wrote, and Philemon was still around, and Philemon hadn't responded appropriately. It would have been quite awkward for him. So I assume that he responded correctly. But what we do know, now that's based, again, that's based on assumption, but here's what we do know that Paul is confident 
that Philemon will respond correctly. Look at how he, how he talks about it in verse 21. This is what Paul says. He says, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. You see, Paul wasn't writing this letter and scared of how it would turn out. He was confident in Philemon. He said, I know that you are someone who has love for the saints, that you've been a refreshing for the saints. I know who you are, and I have confidence that you're, just not, you're not even just going to do what I say. You're going to go above and beyond even what I say. That he would accept Onesimus back. You know, today we need reconciliation. Too often within churches, within uh, churches with each other, with other churches, there's disputes, there's problems, there's division. The Bible doesn't make room for that. The Bible says that we shouldn't be divided, but we should all be coming together. And sometimes that takes work. Sometimes that takes reconciliation. This is how Jesus talks about it. In Matthew chapter 5, he's talking about anger. And right on the end of that discussion about anger, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, Jesus says this. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So Jesus holds up two things here. He holds up our offering to God, our way of worshiping God with our offering and our relationship with our brothers. And he says, if you have a problem with your brothers, go be reconciled to them first and then come with your offering to the altar. Think about that. God is saying, be reconciled together first. Put that as the priority first and then come with your offering to the Lord. That is how serious Jesus views this topic. That if we have divisions, if you have problems with people around you, with other brothers and sisters in Christ, that you should put that first and you should say, I need to figure this out and resume that relationship. So how do we do that? I'll give you two quick practical steps. The first one is we need to be quick to forgive. That's what was being put on Philemon in this letter. The idea of forgiveness. Paul says, listen, I know Onesimus has wronged you, but you need to forgive him. And we're called to forgive each other. Now, forgiveness is an easy thing to talk about. It's a very hard thing to do. Because oftentimes when somebody wrongs us, we're very quick to want justice. We're very quick to say, they did something to me. I need to get payback. That's our immediate go-to. We wrap ourselves up in what they did to us, and we say, I need to get back at them. But the Bible calls us to forgive. Why does the Bible call us to forgive? The answer is interesting. The answer is because of what God has done for us. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, Paul says, Put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And then he says, And if one has a complaint against another, Forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Why do we have to forgive? Because God has forgiven us. That's why we're called to forgive, because God has forgiven us of our sins. We should look to forgive each other. 
But what if what they did was really bad? What if they meant to hurt us? What if they were out to get us? What if they didn't say sorry? The Bible still calls us to forgive. We need to look to forgive each other. The way Philemon was called to forgive Onesimus. And the second point is we also need to be quick to ask for forgiveness. Imagine for a second how Onesimus must have felt holding this letter in his hand, walking up to Philemon and saying, here's a letter from Paul, and I'm back. And I'm sorry for running away. I'm sorry for what I did. I shouldn't have done that. He apologized for what he did. We need to be quick to ask for forgiveness. Now, to do that, it takes humility. It takes realizing that we are part of the problem, that we've sinned against people, that we do wrong things. We're not perfect at all times. But we need to be quick to identify where we were wrong and ask for forgiveness. In my experience, in most relational disputes that I've experienced or been a part of or witnessed, and this is, again, most, this isn't at all, but in most of the relational disputes I've seen, it's never 100% one person's fault and 0% the other person's fault. It's always somewhere in between. Both people play a part. You know, we have the phrase, it takes two to tango. Both people play a part in the problem. So own your part of it. Say, hey... I'm sorry for what I did that created this problem. I'm sorry for the part that I played, the words that I said, the way that I said them. I'm sorry for what I did to wrong you. And then be quick to forgive them for their half. Forgive them for their part. And as we do that, we can start to build reconciliation. You know, when we trace this all back, everything that's about here, I've talked about this multiple times now, it's all about the gospel. The fact that when we were sinners, when we were separated from God, Jesus came to the earth to die on the cross and to rise again three days later. And when he did that, he paid the penalty for our sin. He took our sin on himself so that we could have forgiveness, so that our lives could be transformed that we could have pursuing righteousness, that we could have a purpose, that we could have a family that we can call our own, and so we could learn to forgive others, so that we could be reconciled with the brothers and sisters in Christ. That is what Paul is speaking into the situation in Philemon and Onesimus' life. I said this at the beginning, and I'm going to say this again. The gospel is not just about our eternal life. It's about our current life. The gospel is not just about our eternal life. It's supposed to impact right here, right now, today. So how's the gospel impacting you? Let's close in prayer. Lord, we praise you for the gospel. We praise you over and over for your great love for us. That although we were sinners, you came to this earth to die on the cross for our sins. You rose again three days later so we could have peace with you. We could have eternal life. But Lord, with that, we could also have a transformed life today. Lord, I pray that our lives would be different because of the gospel, that we wouldn't just remain the same, but we'd be different people. 
that we'd be people who love you and want to pursue righteousness, that we'd be people who have a purpose, that we'd be people who are part of your family, that we'd be quick to be reconciled with our family members, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would be quick to forgive, that we'd be quick to ask for forgiveness so that we could come back together the way uh, Onesimus and Philemon did. This beautiful picture of reconciliation. We pray that we would have that with each other. And Lord, we ultimately pray that through all of that, that it would be glorifying to your great name. We pray that you would receive the honor and glory. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. I'm alive because of the gospel, the good news of Jesus and how he saves us. I pray that this is true of all of you as well, that you've been transformed and reconciled. But if not, I pray that the message of this song and the words, the message that he just shared and the words of this song would challenge each of us to believe the gospel. Please stand.
I did just want to um, remind everyone again that we're going to be having refreshments back in the fellowship hall. It's a great time uh, as a church family to just spend time together to get to know each other. So I'd encourage you just to uh, go back, have a snack, talk with somebody new that you don't normally talk to, uh, and just fellowship with each other for a little bit. But maybe you're here this morning and you know you really do have problems between you or, and somebody else, and you really uh, just need to work on forgiving or work on confessing some of your own faults, we would love to talk to you about that. We'd love to pray with you about that. We'll have people up front that would just love uh, to sit and talk and pray with you about that as we work on reconciliation. And Lord, as we go out today, Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in the church. Lord, that your name would be lifted up here at Quinton Baptist Church, here in each one of our lives, as we shine for you. We've been talking all of this time for week, for months about uh, shining for you. We pray that we would just be people who shine for you. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.